Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the podcast of Community Bible Church. Serving the Rogue Valley from Central Point, Oregon. We are a multi-generational family. Equipping believers to be adopted in, growing up, and reaching out through the gospel. Now today we we have a chance to look down and and we're going to look at the true brother. The true brother obviously is Jesus Christ. And we want to see our true brother as we began our conversation last week, the firstborn, as someone who stands unique. And our whole goal for this season is to take the magnificent Savior, Jesus Christ, and get him out of your mind as a, a, a baby sitting in a, in a box of hay. We want to take him out of your mind as that, that cute little cuddly thing. And we want to remind you today that this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We want to remind you again that this is the Lion of Judah. And in his sovereign hold on the world, nothing escapes his grasp. And family, all of that is foundational to who we are in salvation. And so let me take you this morning by way of of first recognition to Genesis chapter 4. Humanity has always been impatient. We don't wait for things very well, do we? I will tell you right now, if my wife puts out my gifts for Christmas early, I will tell you everything that are in those boxes. I know the difference between a shirt and a sweater. I know the difference between pants and socks. Just give me a few minutes. I think I can shake the color right out of the box. All right? We are terrible. We are impatient people. Genesis chapter 4 reveals just how impatient we really are. And you can turn there, but I I prefer you, if you will, just allow me to talk through. In Genesis chapter 4, we have a very unique day. We have two characters that many of you know, Cain and Abel. You see, family, the first one is Cain. I don't know how well you know, but... The translation behind Cain's name is, could this be the man? If you know your Bibles, Genesis 15 promised Eve that someone was going to come and crush the head of Satan. She looked to her very first child with the impatience that all of us would show. And knowing the situation that she's in, she looked down and said, could this be the one? Could this be the one? And we know that by the way in which the translation comes. She says, I got a man from the Lord. That's not what it says. It says, I got a man, the Lord, is the actual translation. We've interjected from the in order to flow the text a little more completely. Um, I want to suggest to you what most commentaries believe, most Bible scholars, and, and, and most of your church leadership, or I would suggest all of us are in that camp, 
I want you to hear what one man says. He says, there can be no doubt that the Lord showed Adam what would happen regarding the virgin son, namely that his blood would be shed for our sins, and afterwards commanded him to teach his family and his descendants according to this example, and to hand on the custom of slaughtering and sacrificing sheep and cows so that a reminder of the coming sacrifice of Christ for sins would always be retained until the very thing was fulfilled. Therefore, Cain and Abel make sacrifices and offer gifts to God out of a tradition divinely disclosed to their parents. Now, that changes everything about Genesis chapter 4. We have recorded the first recording of sacrifice. So this commentator, of which I would agree with him, is, is not telling you that this is the first. This is just the first recorded one. How would Abel have known not only to select a sheep, but to select the, the fat portions of that sheep to place on the offering? This isn't, this isn't an act of human luck. This isn't a, an act of, of human attitude that God somehow divinely is satisfied with. He is fully aware of what God considers important and what marks out this act of sacrificial identification to atonement. So family, when Cain offers nothing but vegetables, I want you to understand this isn't just a misplaced sacrifice. This is the first act of blasphemy that you'll read in the Bible. All right? He's looking down going, yeah, I've, I've heard what Dad says. I've seen what Mom and Dad have done. I've been a part of that. But you know, if God's not satisfied with what I give him, my best vegetables, then that's too bad. And that's the attitude that we see approaching here. If he's not satisfied with what I want to give him, then that's not my problem, that's God's. So family, we see a much stronger, difficult problem here. And we recognize that blasphemy leads to jealousy as God accepts Abel's sacrifice but rejects Cain's, leading to murder. So this is a far more intricate chapter than sometimes we give it credit for Sometimes we find gold on the surface, and sometimes we have to dig a little. But family, I want you to understand, the one that humanity, Adam and Eve, were hoping, and in their impatience, desired, maybe this is the time we finally get rid of sin. We find that not only did we not get rid of sin, but we've seen sin take over, even to a greater degree. But I want you to understand, as he kills Abel, Abel is no different, no better than any of us. And as his murder comes, God gives us a very strange statement about that death in the book of Hebrews when it says this, So the sprinkled blood of Christ 
speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. When Abel was killed, what Abel's blood screams was justice. Someone step up and cover over or, or bring justice to my death. And family, I want you to understand, if Jesus Christ's death on the cross only brought justice, we'd be in terrible, terrible situation. His blood brought something far greater. It brought mercy. And family, that idea comes from the very, very earliest of Christmas messages. Let me read to you just the, the first verses, Luke chapter 2. Listen, if you will, to verses 10 through 14. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find him, you will find the, a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and singing. And this is the key, verse 14. Notice what he says. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And so never forget, Jesus never promised to come to the earth to bring peace to the world. He came to offer peace to those who wish to follow him. And so you and I have that chance to recognize what we have as a gift from God. And so, family, if you'll allow us then to come now to Hebrews as that, that gift of peace is now explained in a little more fullness, could we read and watch on the board, or more importantly, be in your own text of scriptures? Hebrews chapter 13, beginning in verse 20 through 22, says this, Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So family, if you will, allow me to take this section apart in a little different way. The Bible says, now may the God of peace. So as he says, now may the God of peace, the God of peace has an action, a desire that he wants to do to you. It's, if you will, your present, your gift. What is the God of peace going to do for you? The Bible tells us here, he's going to equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. You see, that's the whole intent of this prayer. All right? So we want to first talk about the God of peace, then we're going to talk about the gift that he gives, and then we're going to come to the strategy in which God gives that gift to you. All right? So it's a little backwards. It's, it's unwrapping, you will, if you will, the, the text. But I think it points a little more strongly to clarify what he gives you. 
So if you will, notice if you will, the author of the true brother's gift, the God of peace. So the God of peace has a gift that he wants to give you, but I want you to know who that God is. He is a wonderful privilege for you and I to be in relationship with. You see, only a God interested in saving people can be called a God of peace. God's peace is so powerful that John tells us that the world can't give us that peace. We can't get it in any other fashion. And it's designed uniquely for those who know Christ as Savior. And obviously, that peace is positional. We have peace with God from the very moment we embrace salvation. So positive is that relationship that peace is now the new norm between us and God the Father, us and God the Holy Spirit, us and God the Son. The Trinity is committed to us in a peaceful dynamic. Family, that whole Trinity is aligned in John 14 in, in such a way, he says this, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, will teach you. So we have the actions of the Holy Spirit teaching us. It says, the Father will send in my name. So the Father is approving the work of the Holy Spirit. And finally, the action of the Holy Spirit is to teach or have remembrance of all that I have said to you, peace I leave you, my peace I give you. So the Holy Spirit's job is to remind you that Jesus gave you peace. God the Father approves that action by even sending the Holy Spirit to initiate. You are in positional peace by a Savior who mediates between you and the Father. You are at peace with the Holy Spirit that Romans 9 says utters our confusing prayers in a way in which the clarity is provided so that God knows exactly what you need. We have a Trinitarian commitment to be at family peace. Family, I, I want you to understand, not only is it positional because of our salvation, It goes much deeper. It's also situational. John Pollock wrote a book called The Apostle. The Apostle is, if you will, a biography of the Apostle Paul. And I would encourage you, if, you're a, if, if you enjoy reading, add that to your 2023 book list. It is engaging and it is encouraging. And I want to read to you one quote from the book, he says this. John Pollock talks about believers being martyred during the Roman time of persecution during the time of Nero. And he says this. Praetorian soldiers who had learned to love Paul were among those ordered to torture friends. Former guards who were now Christians were themselves dying in agony. And the way Christians died was it's in itself a testimony. 
in the midst of the flame and the rack, wrote Seneca. Seneca is a, is a historian who writes at the time of Nero. He says, I have seen men not only groan, that's a little. Not only not complain, that is little. Not only not to answer back, that too is little. But I have seen them smile and smile with a good heart. They went to die for their faith with a good heart. Family, peace is not just for those who are persecuted, but I want to suggest to you, God gives us peace when we go through the tough times of life. Forgive me, but... I watched two here in the middle this morning. Perry, God was a treasure this year for you, wasn't he? You can't go through cancer. And everybody else says, I couldn't go through what you did. Yes, you can. When God puts you in the situation that allows your reliance on him to be acute, you receive the situational care. And not only at these moments in life, those moments when the Bible says in 1 Corinthians that death doesn't have a sting, grave doesn't have a victory, but even in other horrible moments in our lives, potentially worse than death itself is divorce. And yet, in preparation of that hurt, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 7.15 but if an unbelieving partner separates if you're left and you didn't have anything to do with it let it be so Paul says in such case the brother or the sister is not enslaved God has called you to peace relax relax God's going to take you through this and provide you with a peace Family, I also want to suggest to you in family unity you find even a greater privilege of peace. If I would walk you through a text of Scripture, the context has this. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 2, Paul says, Iodia and Syndike, you're not getting along. Yoke fellow, go help them so that they get along. They are written in the Lamb's book of life. He comes to the very next phrase to remind us that we're at peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He takes us into verse 9. He says, what you've seen, what you've experienced, what you've watched over, he says, put them, in, put them into practice and the God of peace will be with you. He then goes into a a new subject. And what's that new subject? He writes to the Philippian people and he says, you have restored your care for me. Disunity? Restored unity? And in the middle, a reminder of God's care and the provision of peace of what we go through. Family, reminding you afresh, how many times has a believer offered you nothing more than a card a reminder that you were prayed for. Uh, 
an unexpected dinner as they came by when you were most needy. And all of those things provided for you a strengthening opportunity of situational peace. What you were going through all of the sudden seemed to be a little less severe because you were part of the family and the family was recognizing what you were doing. So family, I also want to remind you today that this relational peace, as we just have seen, so Romans 14 can tell us to put it into practice. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. We have a God committed to seeing us live a world at peace. So that's the one who's giving us this gift. So I want you to see we're going to now jump into the gift, the plan of sending Christ as a baby in a manger has a distant plan for your success. I want, we to, I want to see exactly that piece. So let's look at the plan itself. What's the plan? The plan is to equip you with everything good to do His will. So family, having accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, obviously the big change, obviously the big opportunity of equipping and preparing god himself undertakes the task of shaping us into his holy servants now may the god of peace make you complete in every good work to do his will so the idea is getting us ready to do our calling to equip means to supply whatever is needed for a assigned purpose. Our calling and our purpose in the will of God is that we engage in a great variety of good works. God is willing to equip us in every good work to do His will. So family, I want you to, to, to grasp the equipping work of God is it, on one level is an automatic issue. He's given this to you already. You may say you don't have that. I want you to understand that's not true. I don't know if you have ever done this, but have you ever had a car that you didn't even know it had this and this and this capability to it? Have you? I got a car. Years ago, I, I sat and looked at it. It has a button right here, on the, right on the, on the console. And I was afraid to push it because I didn't understand the, what, what the little thing was. I didn't want the car to come apart. So for, for weeks, I didn't even bother to push it. Then finally, I just couldn't take it anymore. Well, what's this thing do? And I pushed it, and all of a sudden... My car has shades in the back windows. And they all came up. I thought, oh man, what does that do? I felt like I was a chauffeur for somebody from Hollywood. My little kids thought that was the greatest thing as my granddaughters wanted to push that every time they came in so the shades would come up. Family, you and I have a car that we don't know, all of the equipment that we already have paid for. 
our salvation is, is equally as surprising. You are equipped to accomplish things. You never knew you could do that. How many times have you shared Christ to a neighbor? The conversation turned in such a way that you walked back to your house and went, how did I know to say that? You were equipped. How many times have you done something that your act of kindness was almost a second thought for you, but you simply stopped by? You simply accomplished something of what you thought was insignificance, and all of a sudden the person turned to you and said, how did you know I needed dot, dot, dot? You were equipped. And God says, I'm the one who equips you so that everything you do is an act of service, accomplishing my will. And so, family, we are equipped beyond our understanding. But don't forget, we can fail to use it. Just as you ignore the features on your car, you can resist the work of God. You can quench the Holy Spirit. You can grieve the work of the Spirit with your life. We've been equipped by God in salvation to accomplish His will. And that goal that God has, that peace working in us, is to do that which is pleasing in His sight Family, I want you to understand, with the gift of salvation, you are transformed. The Bible tells us that in Isaiah, our righteousness is as filthy rags. When we want to do something good outside a relationship with Jesus Christ, our good is bad. Because our good is mixed with bad motives, our, our, with a desire to make ourselves look good. It's divorced from any work of Christ. But in Christ, what we do, insignificance becomes significant. So Paul could say, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. How can I drink and bring God glory? How can I eat and bring him a satisfaction? Simply because I'm a believer and I'm thanking, and I'm thanking him for those gifts and those provisions. I've changed everything in my life. And so God in salvation has equipped you and I to now please him in ways that we recognize as insignificant. But in insignificance, we create an offering of blessing. God's plan is to equip us through salvation. I want to remind you, how is the plan implemented? Kevin took us through communion this morning, and that is the heart of that accomplishment. Our equipping by the God of peace is accomplished through Jesus Christ. The greatest miracle in history is the moment in time that Jesus Christ walked out of the tomb in bodily glory. 
never forget. When Christ was brought up by the God of peace, and it was done so through the blood of the eternal covenant. In other words, his resurrection is proof that his sacrifice of himself has been accepted by God and the new covenant established on the basis of that sacrifice. So let's make it even simpler. When you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, and that is the desire of your heart, and you recognize his work in you, we know when the resurrection occurred that that promise is fulfilled. John 5, 1 John 5 says, He who has the Son has life. Family, the joy of that is there are times when you can't feel it. You have to own it. You have to depend on it. God gives it to you. So we looked at the bread signifying the work of Christ on the cross who sacrificed himself physically. And we recognize he did that for us. We drank the cup, remembering the permanence of the new covenant given to us when we responded to the cross of Christ. Family, can I give you one last thing that this piece of Scripture reminds us of? Our true brother, who eternally loves us and gives us eternal life, he is the shepherd and we are the sheep. And John chapter 10, verse 3 says this, The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his sheep, or excuse me, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. What I want you to walk away from here is, if we knew salvation generically today, wouldn't that be a treasure? Think about it. The answer is yes. If we just knew salvation was given to every one of us in a generic way, and, and God in, in, in the future blows the trumpet and says, sheep, come on home. That would be a treasure in and of itself. Listen to the treasure in its more acute privilege. He knows each and every one of us by name. He knows what we need. He knows what brings him glory through our lives. You see, that quiet person doesn't have to act like that outgoing person. The poor person doesn't have to do the things that the rich person did. The, the, the quiet guy can continue to please and serve God in the equipping that the quiet guy has been given to bring honor and glory to God. Family, look sometimes at the, the men and women who were surrounding Jesus in that ministry. You saw everyone from a short guy who climbed a tree to a loudmouth who wanted to walk on the Sea of Galilee. Every kind of person, and God uses them in their own equipment, in their own personality, in their own ability to bring honor and glory to his name. He then equips them to go through moments of life that are unique to them. 
And so I suggest to you, John, who we believe died of old age, died of old age, being perfectly equipped to live out life to bring God honor and glory. Thomas died in India. We believe stabbed through by a spear and stuck to a tree. Sudden, an attack, he was perfectly equipped to bring God honor and glory in his martyrdom in that unique moment of time. Peter, who had to watch his wife die first on the cross, cheering her, encouraging her, and pleading with her to stay with it because God's faithful, then had to go in and be turned upside down and die himself. You see, the stories are all different. But God equips us personally because he knows us by name. And he allows you the privilege of bringing him honor and glory without having to be transformed into something else. He just takes us where we are and who we are and uses us in ways we never anticipated. So family, what a privilege it is. Don't ever forget, some of you are in those senior years. And you took medication this morning along with your morning breakfast just so that you could get your hair done to get to church. Right? And those who are young, they don't understand that at all. Family, some of you who are young, you're going through issues, financial, relational. I've never known. I've, I've never had the experience to do so but we have a God who's equipping you because you know the Savior and you have the true brother who is taking you through that ability to trust him, to see his goodness in ways that many in the room will never understand because you were uniquely given a moment in time where you saw God at work and I want you to understand what's going to happen. You're experiencing it right now. And you don't, want to, you don't want to ever sign up for that again. But I want you to understand in time, you're going to look back and say, Lord, that was the best thing that ever happened to me. Thank you for taking me through that. I learned to trust you in ways that I never knew I could. I learned to be used by you in ways that I never knew that I could. I was glorifying you, and I didn't even know it. And you have a chance to be used. So I want to encourage you in this Christmas season, don't dull yourself to being satisfied with the baby in the box. Don't, don't be satisfied by, by running through the magazines that we have to, to buy stuff and wrap them underneath the tree, and dull our life experiences with some moment of material happiness. Trust me, that will go away as quickly as the tree is put away. Relish what you have right now, the work of the true brother who's transformed you by the gift of salvation. Father in heaven, I'd ask that you'd watch over 
Help us to remember what a treasure it is to know Jesus Christ as Savior. Dear God, that's not something that we all have in a generic way, but we have this all because we have a Savior who knows us by name, who equips us and blesses us and empowers us and works within us, not only to provide the equipment to accomplish the hurt, the strategy, the, the work. But Father, we also have someone who takes us through and receives honor and glory in that work. Father, we just ask that you'd watch over now. Dear God, allow the Christmas season to be a reminder of the great treasure that we have in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast of Community Bible Church. Follow us on Facebook to keep up to date with all our latest content. Thank you.